How does the Beatles' first appearance on The Ed Sullivan Show, as well as the Rolling Stones' first U.S. performance at the Swing Auditorium in Southern California, relate to the Walkman, the iPod, and music as we know it today? Find out about all this and more on Full Circle Analog, the podcast hosted by Brad Blue, the man who, like many, was there through it all. The first and second British invasion, Bruce Springsteen, Elton John, and so, so many more. As well as sometimes me, Alec Blue his son and fellow lover of music, who comes on to provide a more modern perspective as well as learn about the past. A couple things jump out at you when you first were exposed to Woodstock, either the movie or the, we'll call it the soundtrack, three-record set, and then the follow-up two-record set. The first thing that jumps out at you is that obviously the songs that were on the record in the movie was the end of a set in most cases because the announcer comes on and asks everyone to, you know, give it up for the band, whoever it is. So it's quite obvious that these bands played more than one song and how long, in fact, were the sets as it, after all, was a a three-and-a-half-day concert. Well, now, nowadays, we know the exact order that the bands played in we talked about that in part one um, the concert was supposed to start at noon but it actually started at around 5 15 on that friday afternoon august 15 1969 and the first evening was supposed that first afternoon and evening was supposed to be more of a folk music acoustic type set and so therefore a lot of the bands that you know that are on those records and in the movie uh, the the ones that were on the acoustic side um, played that first Friday um, <clears throat> Richie Havens of course and uh, Arlo Guthrie Joan Baez Ravi Shankar and others um, there's multiple stories here they're the groups that played that didn't make the record at all there's Groups that played that you know as household names that weren't on the record or in the movie. And then there were bands that you'd never heard of that were on the records and the movie. There's all different situations. And, I mean, to cover them all, we may go six parts. Uh, Right now, I want to talk about uh, about at least five bands who were well-known And you have to remember, this was 1969, so well-known meant they probably had one or none albums out. Uh, Their fame was either on uh, FM radio, which was now the outlet as music left AM radio and joined uh, Freeform FM in stereo. And you can now listen to the albums played by the disc jockeys in stereo through your receiver at home. First band I want to talk about was Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Blood, Sweat, and Tears was not on the original albums or in the movie. And part of that was due to the way the audio mics were set up, the multi-track and the mono, uh, David Clayton Thomas voice was not clear 
and especially the horns actually sounded flat. It wasn't until the la- between uh, Woodstock 40 album that came out that the same sound engineers discovered in the last 10 years a way to tune, polyphonic tuning, found a way to tune the horns so they were not flat, and they used a a technique from a sound engineer at Abbey Road to get Glean David Clayton Thomas's voice out of the mono mix and were able to put Blood, Sweat, and Tears set onto the 50th anniversary CD box set. And they do sound amazing. If you listen to xpn.org's live playing of the entire Woodstock a few weeks ago, and you heard the Blood, Sweat, and Tears set, it was amazing. All those songs are pretty much on one album, and if you have Blood, Sweat, and Tears' first album that has all those songs on it, it is a classic. Absolute classic. So that was the reason they were kept off, because it didn't sound good. Creedence Clearwater Revival, um, the notoriously uh, difficult, we'll say, John Fogarty, and touchy or whatever, John Fogarty hated the way it sounded and refused to let them use it and wouldn't write, sign off on the letting them put it on the record. And many think that Credence's set was one of the best at Woodstock. You know, you know how artists are and musicians. Um, same thing was with The Who. The Who never thought their performance was any good, and some consider it one of the great Who performances of all time. So anyway, so Creedence Clearwater Revival was not on the record because of John Fogarty. It's too bad. Janis Joplin was pretty wasted, by all accounts, during her performance, and she didn't like the um, way it sounded, basically. So uh, she didn't want it on the record either. All the- Next is uh, The Grateful Dead. And the Grateful Dead, their sound was all messed up. You have to remember, it rained quite a bit um, during the three days. It wasn't just one big rainstorm. Uh, the concert started late because of rain. Uh, Saturday was delayed f- uh, four hours in the afternoon because of rain. Um, so, the Grateful Dead performance was uh, Jerry Garcia didn't like the way it sounded, so they refused to have their songs put on the record. Arlo Guthrie, um, it's an interesting story. Um, he actually was on before Joan Baez Friday night. He came on after midnight, and something happened to his microphone that it, it didn't get back to the truck. Uh, the recording just has the uh, instruments, and Arlo's voice is missing. So... When you hear coming into Los Angeles on Woodstock, that is from another performance. 
that is not from the concert itself, which is kind of crazy. Um, the uh, the bit where he's talking about the New York State throughways closed and all that, that was on stage from that night. If, you, if you've heard the full Arlo Guthrie set and you hear her coming into Los Angeles, it's different. It's quite different. And uh, But his whole set was absolutely, it, <laughs> it was good and it was hilarious. If you've ever heard Arlo Guthrie go off on one of his poems, his most famous one, of course, is Alice's Restaurant, Massacre. Uh, they often, uh, satellite radio, I think, and local radio stations will play it on Thanksgiving Day. I don't know why Thanksgiving, but they will play it because it's like a whole album worth or a whole side worth. And the way Arlo talks about the garbage and taking the garbage out and you can get anything you want at Alice's Restaurant. And, well, he goes off on a bit about Moses in uh, on stage at Woodstock that, you know, He's definitely talking to a stoner crowd, and uh, it's absolutely <laughs> hilarious. If you ever heard Alice's Restaurant Massacre, you'll get Arlo Guthrie's talking about Moses and feeding the people. And what did they feed the people with? Brownies, man. You get it from there. You can figure out where Arlo's headed with that. So... That's the interesting factoid there about uh, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, Creedence Clearwater Revival, Janis Joplin, The Grateful Dead. They were not on the record due to either technical glitches that were even the modern technology couldn't fix or were lost. As a matter of fact, um, one other artist I should mention is Ravi Shankar. The original recordings from Woodstock, the original, original ones, the multi-track, disappeared. The producer ran off with him, uh, Ravi Shankar's, his manager, because he was hell-bent on making a, a live album. Matter of fact, on one of the posters or some advertisement, it was a future live album, Ravi Shankar at Woodstock, and they actually hacked a, an album together of Ravi Shankar live recordings, but they weren't from Woodstock. They disappeared. And to this day, nobody, somebody knows, or they just, the person who had them died, and they're in a storage locker somewhere. But the original Ravi Shankar multi-track recordings from Woodstock are not there. They did have the mono recording that they broke into stereo that is on the new 50th anniversary box set. So there's a few other little factoids about um, why certain bands were not on the record. You have to get the $800.38 CD set to hear the whole set of every band. It's I didn't stay up for three days to listen to all of it, but I heard when I listened to it on that radio station, I listened to the entire sets of uh, Richie Havens, um, Ravi Shankar, uh, Arlo Guthrie, Joan Baez, etc., etc. I could go down the list. Um, Blood, sweat, and tears blew me away the most. They were actually the highest one. They were the highest paid, or close to the highest paid, because Blood, Sweat, and Tears at that time was one of the hottest, highest-grossing live acts and studio bands in the United States at that time. 
you have to look at the year. We've just finished a decade, a half a decade with the Beatles, the British Invasion, the second British Invasion, all these pop bands from England, and then the Stones, and then, of course, anything from the Kinks to the Dave Clark Five, Herman's Hermits, Peter and Gordon, Chad and Jeremy, goes on and on and on. All of those great groups from England, and then the next wave behind that was what I will call the progressive bands that came from England. When we started to see Yes and Emerson, Lake and Palmer and Genesis and Jethro Tull and all these type of bands, Led Zeppelin uh, had their first album out. Um, one of the criticisms uh, people gave Woodstock, speaking of those, you know, Led Zeppelin, is how come none of the 60s bands were there? It was still 1969, after all. You know, the Beatles, the Stones, um, Led Zeppelin. How come none of them played? And there's there's some speculation. I've, I've heard, actually, two or three different versions for each band. I believe the one about Led Zeppelin, because Peter Grant, their manager, ever since Zeppelin got upstaged at the very beginning of their career, I believe it was Jethro Tull that opened for him and... The crowd was more responsive. Plus, Zeppelin, I didn't realize this in the early days, had uh, lots of sound problems live. They had trouble with their amps and, and recording, you know, because, you know, that was a burgeoning uh, industry. Lighting, concert lighting, and concert sound. By the mid-70s, it was pretty much perfected, but... The Zeppelin, I guess, was plagued by uh, sound issues from time to time. So um, Peter Grant wouldn't let Zeppelin play. Um, there was some talk that they got through to John Lennon, but John Lennon wanted Yoko to have a set. I don't know if that's true. Uh, but the Beatles were also splitting up at that time. Thanks for checking out this episode of Full Circle Analog. As always, we are supported by our business, Old Days, New Ways, which you can find at odnws.com or at Facebook under the page Old Days, New Ways. We transfer your celebrated memories onto disc and digital so that you can relive your favorite memories with the ones you love. To learn more about this, check out the Book Now page on our website. Thank you again for getting this far into this episode of the podcast. Unfortunately, due to some audio hardware malfunctions, the next part of the podcast has a slight hiss in it. You audiophiles might be able to tell where the hiss comes from, but we hope you enjoy the rest of this episode of the podcast, and we will be back next week having fixed the audio issues with a brand new episode for you. So stay tuned to our Facebook page to get updates as to when those come out. Thanks again for listening. Let's get right back into the show. As we are coming up on the 50th anniversary of Abbey Road, released the end of September, you can see Abbey Road came out just over a month after Woodstock. The Who is the only real band there, but The Who will save for a, another discussion because they um, were all, you know, they were actually no names. Like The Who? <laughs> they actually were when they did Tommy. But we'll, we'll save that for a little bit later on. Um, who else? I mentioned Zeppelin, Beatles, The Stones. The Stones, Mick Jagger was in uh, Australia or something filming a movie. Uh, 
and I believe Keith Richards' girlfriend or wife at that time was in labor. So they had a couple pretty good reasons to not be at Woodstock. Several other bands were invited and did not participate for any number of reasons. Some of them are quite interesting. Um, Jeff Beck group had just broken up, and Jeff Beck has been quoted as saying, I didn't want anything from that group to be preserved. Uh, Nicky Hopkins, a name you should know of, who played everywhere, from The Who to John Lennon, Jeff Beck, he was a keyboard player in Jeff Beck's band. He ended up playing on stage at Woodstock with Jefferson Airplane. Blues Image, who had that, we'll call him the one-hit wonder, Ride, Captain Ride. Uh, they agreed to appear, but the, when the weather got weird, their manager convinced them to go play at a local gig uh, in England instead. Uh, the Birds were invited, but chose not to participate. This one is one of the more controversial, interesting stories. Um, we all have documented and know that Santana got their huge break by playing at Woodstock. The music was new, they were new, they didn't even have an album out. Well, they were under the management of Bill Graham, who you would know from the Fillmore East, Fillmore West, I mean. Um, and uh, he managed several bands. And uh, he was signed with Chicago, the group Chicago at the time. Um, and he had heard about Santana, and he switched and thought Santana would be a better mix at Woodstock and kind of left Chicago in the lurch which they weren't too happy about, but in the long run, Santana and Chicago both had very lucrative careers and successful careers as bands. Um, the Doors canceled at the last minute. Um, they had experienced the Monterey Pop Festival and kind of thought it was just going to be a repeat of that. Um, <laughs> Bob Dylan actually lived in the town of Woodstock at the time, but was never really in any serious negotiations to appear. But uh, he did sign to play on the Isle of Wight Festival in England on August 31st, which was just two weeks after Woodstock. Um, but there was an injury to uh, his son and uh, he did not appear um, until the next week in England and did appear in a concert. So he almost didn't make it to the Isle of Wight uh, concert. Um, Free was asked to perform. They declined. They played at the Isle of Wight Festival. Uh, Iron Butterfly was booked, but they got stuck at the airport. They're one of those that couldn't get in. Tommy James and the Shondells claim to have declined. We were in Hawaii, and uh, there's something going on in upstate New York, but uh, they just didn't commit. Uh, Ian Anderson of Jethro Tull 
uh, just was really down on the hippie movement and thought it was just going to be one big uh, party and people getting high and wasn't interested. Um, Lighthouse, the group, declined. Uh, you, Joni Mitchell uh, was included on the poster to perform, but as the story goes, um, she was scheduled to appear on the Dick Cavett show like Saturday night. And to do Dick Cavett and to do Woodstock uh, couldn't be two places really at the same time. And with a nightmarish logistics getting in and out of the stadium, um, her manager convinced her not to even try. So she did the Dick Cavett show instead. But she will forever be known as writing the iconic song Woodstock, um, which appeared on one of her records, but of course was made even more famous by Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and Young covering it. Um, the Moody Blues are on the original poster, but they backed out as they had a dual commitment that they had to choose uh, between a, a concert in Paris, in Paris, France, or Woodstock. Um, Procol Harum, those of you that know that band, were invited, but they refused because Woodstock fell at the end of a long tour for them. And uh, Robin Trower was scheduled to have a baby, the due date of his child. So they didn't want, they backed out rascals were invited to play because they were in the middle of uh, recording sessions. Now here's a real interesting one. Apparently the, one of the original producers of Woodstock was a real big Roy Rogers fan. And they tried to get Roy Rogers to sing the closing number. That would have been after Hendrix, um, but he declined. <laughs> Roy Rogers at Woodstock. That would have been something. Simon and Garfunkel were asked if they wanted to play, but they were working on a new album. Spirit had an invitation to play, but uh, they declined not thinking Woodstock was going to be that big of a deal. Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention turned down Woodstock too. So, you know, there is a lot of bands that were invited to play. Some are even on the marquee, on the poster marquee. We went over the big bands. These are all the other bands that declined. We talked about the recording. We talked about uh, bands all across the spectrum that were involved or invited in one way or another to participate in the Woodstock Music and Art Festival. Once again, which was August 15th through the 18th, 1969. A couple interesting things uh, around the performance itself. If you watched the special that was uh, on, oh gosh, I forget which show it was, on public television, really showed, it was a two-hour special that really showed uh, Woodstock and its I think closest to its original setup because all you see is these giant aerial photographs or ground photographs of the people, but there was a, you know, there was an arts festival. It wasn't just music. 
Um, and that was like up on the top of the hill over to the side near what was known as the pig farm. Now, the pig farm was, I'm not exactly sure if the pig farm was already there or uh, whatever, but some guy I think is more famous by his name and his crazy voice and he had no teeth, Wavy Gravy. He even came on to announce that there was food available when the food was running short. Um, he was uh, kind of the leader of this commune called the Pig Farm, and it was adjacent to the field where the concert was. And um, they were very helpful to the management of Woodstock in uh, helping people who were either injured, people needed someplace to sleep, people, yeah, medical aid or emergency aid. They coordinated stuff like that. They fed people. They were, they opened up their <laughs> land, we'll say, to um, the concert. Also along the back end was a, an area where people could walk. And they were constantly walking from the music, from the music to the art festival. The art festival was in the woods and in, they didn't have, you know, tents back then like we have at, you know, farmers markets and things like that today. But um, there was um, the arts, you know, you could buy tie-dyed shirts, you could buy jewelry, anything that you could find today at a uh, farmer's market uh, type of thing, festival type thing. But that was up and away over. There was a pig farm and then there was the arts and music festival. I even saw a photograph and I've only seen one photograph of it, and it looks like it's real because you can see the stage in the background, unless it was Photoshop, was they actually put logs embedded in the hills in various places to uh, either keep the land stable or to have something for people to sit on. That was an interesting photograph I saw in researching and looking up Woodstock. The, uh, you know, they keep talking about Max Yasger's dairy farm, but his actual dairy farm was not the site of the concert either. He had a, a field adjacent to the dairy farm that wasn't really being used. I've seen photographs of Max Yasger's uh, dairy farm and also the land adjacent to the dairy farm that was, you know, of course, fenced off because he had, you know, cows. Um, that was the actual location of the concert. So, you know, the, they say Max Yasger's farm, well, it was on this property, but it wasn't part of the actual dairy farm. It was actually land that was adjacent to the farm. So, anyway, um, there's so much we can talk about with Woodstock. There's so many angles to it, to how the... Uh, it was originally set up uh, to the primitive lighting that was on stage and why uh, the bands that played, the bands that didn't play, those that uh, didn't make the record of the movie, those that did, and why. And that's still just scratching the surface of Woodstock's influence on uh, culture and the uh, late summer of August, 1969. All right, that's it for this episode of the podcast. Thanks for tuning in. 
We started Old Days New Ways to help people take their old audio and video tech and convert it to the digital age. If you're interested in getting that done, or you want to keep up to date with all the awesome offers we have because we know that technology can be a daunting experience, you can go ahead and check us out at www.odnws.com. That's our website, and our two main tabs are Book Now and Learn How. Learn How is our up-to-date offers on how you can learn modern technology, and Book Now is where you can schedule appointments with us to help get your technology transferred to the modern age. So thanks for listening. Tune in next time.